Welcome to the Trump Scorecard. I'm your host, Jesse Bernie, and it has been a really rough day. Republicans in the House passed the American Health Care Act, which is named after the health care it will take away from more than 24 million Americans. And I'm going to talk more about the, the AHCA a little bit later, uh, and you'll hear stories from people who are terrified uh, of the effects of that bill on themselves and their families. Uh, the other really awful thing that happened today was Trump's so-called religious liberty order. And there were three major pieces of this of this order. The, the first instructed the IRS to, to no longer take away churches' tax-exempt status if they engage in political endorsements. This means conservative churches, which frankly already engage in quite a bit of political activity, will be able to directly endorse candidates and do much more to engage in politics. It also means you could pretend to start a religious organization that does nothing but politics and claim tax-exempt status. I guarantee that'll happen. The second section of the order told cabinet agencies to reissue regulations to let private employers deny coverage of preventative care based on their personal religious beliefs. So basically, if your boss thinks birth control pills are a naughty no-no, get ready to pay for them out of your own pocket. And last, it instructed the Attorney General, one Jeffrey Beauregard Sessions III, to, quote, issue guidance interpreting religious liberty protections in federal law. In other words, that racist, homophobic, sexist little troglodyte from the casting call for a villain in a Jim Crow movie is going to be in charge of deciding what religious liberty means for all Americans. Let me tell you what that's going to mean, what these people believe it means to freely exercise religion. It exclusively means to them the ability for conservative Christians to discriminate against women and LGBT people. There there was a story this week, a perfect example about a gay couple in Mississippi who had been together for 52 years, and they got married when it became legal in 2015. Uh, And one of them, Robert Husky, died last year, the age of 86. And when the funeral home saw the paperwork, saw that this dead man had a husband, they refused to take his body. That's what these people think religious liberty means, the freedom to tell a grieving widower that he has to find someone else to cremate the love of his life's body. Trump introduced this order in the Rose Garden this morning, but I want to play a clip from Vice President Pence's introduction of his boss. Our president is a believer. He loves his family and he loves his country with an unshakable faith in God and the American people. Now let me ask you, do you believe that for a moment? Do you do you think the president is a man of unshakable faith? He, he said the Bible is his favorite book. Do you think he's even read it? Look, maybe it's not for me to guess at Donald Trump's private religious beliefs, although certainly there's a lot of evidence he is not a man of deep thoughtfulness when it comes to moral issues. And in the end, whether you're a person of faith or, like me, not, that's what this comes down to. This argument for so-called religious liberty is an argument for discrimination, and hiding that behind your faith in God just makes it uglier. Immorality is a theme we're going to be visiting a lot this week, and I want to talk about three hires by the Trump administration who embody the thoughtlessness and maliciousness we see all the time from this White House. 
We already covered on a previous episode of the podcast how Trump is replacing Obama's Secretary of the Army, who is gay, with a viciously anti-LGBT Tennessee state lawmaker. This week, even more came out about him. Uh, Mark Green is a doctor, but he lectured in the past against the theory of evolution. And I don't know, maybe you can be a creationist and still write prescriptions for a strep throat, but I wouldn't recommend going to see this guy. And I certainly wouldn't put an anti-LGBT, anti-science bigot in charge of the army. Next, let's turn to the energy department. You'll remember that the guy running energy once called for the entire department to be eliminated, or, or would have called for that if he hadn't forgotten it. And I will tell you, it's three agencies of government when I get there that are gone. Commerce, education, and the, um, uh, what's the third one there? Let's see. <laughs> you need five. Oh, five, okay. So five. commerce, education, and uh, the... Um, uh, uh, EPA? EPA, there you go. No, okay. Let's talk, let's talk deficit. Seriously? Um, Is EPA no, the one you were talking about? Or? No, sir. No, sir. We were talking about the... Um, agencies of government. EPA needs to be rebuilt. But There's you no can't, doubt about but that. But you can't name the third one? The third agency of government, yeah. I would I would do away with the education, uh, the uh, <laughs> commerce. I, I, commerce, and let's see. Oh I can't. The third one, I can't. Sorry. <laughs> Oops. That never gets old. Now Trump has appointed to that department's Office of Energy Efficiency and Renewable Energy a man named Dan Simmons, who opposes supporting renewable energy. Uh, he testified against subsidies for a giant solar energy plant in the Mojave Desert. He, he's argued we should focus on fossil fuels because they produce energy more cheaply. He, he's adamantly opposed to renewable energy production, and now he is in charge of government policy on renewable energy. Last, and absolutely definitely the worst, is the new hire at the State Department in charge of arranging trips by foreign heads of state. Stephen Munoz attended college at the Citadel, a quasi-military academy in South Carolina, where not one, not two, but five students accused him of sexual assault. Five. Five. Uh, ProPublica reported this, and they pointed out that they found stories uh, about these accusations with a simple Google search of Munoz's name, which means either the administration didn't do the minimum possible amount of vetting, or worse, it found the stories and hired him anyway. Either way, we are talking about a huge moral failure on the part of this administration. And as of my recording this, Stephen Munoz is still working at the State Department. Do you miss Michelle Obama? It's okay. I, I know you do. We're all pining for her. Watching that video of her dunking on LeBron or checking out the gif of her giving that side eye to John Boehner. But but she was more than just the coolest first lady since Dolly Madison. She, she has a real legacy of accomplishment. And of course, Donald Trump is going to do everything in his power to shut that down, roll it back. There are two stories about this this week. First, obviously, you know her signature effort was about getting American children to eat better and exercise more. And a key part of that was working to make school lunches more healthy. And now the Trump administration is going to roll that back. They're going to let schools have waivers on whole grain requirements. They're going to delay reductions in the sodium content. 
maybe they'll make ketchup a vegetable again. You know how these guys love Ronald Reagan. Uh, the second story is about Michelle Obama's Let Girls Learn initiative. And this was amazing. It provided educational opportunities to adolescent girls in developing nations. And CNN obtained a memo to, from the Peace Corps, which is where the program was run out of, saying that the program was shutting down. We're, we're not going to do it anymore. We're not going to use the name anymore. And after that became public, the administration reversed course, denied it, said, no, 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 no. This is, this is going to keep going on. And so that's one little bit of good news. It, it means somewhere someone in the federal government is still capable of feeling shame. That someone, you will not be surprised to hear, is not Ben Carson. The brilliant neurosurgeon who was dumb at everything else did it again this week. Our Secretary of Housing and Urban Development, who has no experience in housing or urban development, but is a black person Donald Trump knows, toured some public housing facilities this week and complained that they were too comfortable. Uh, This is from the New York Times on May the 3rd. Ben Carson does not like creature comforts at least not for low-income Americans reliant on the government for a helping hand. As he toured facilities for the poor in Ohio last week, Mr. Carson, the neurosurgeon-turned-housing secretary, joked that a relatively well-appointed apartment complex for veterans lacked, quote, only pool tables. He inquired at one stop whether animals were allowed. At yet another, he nodded, plainly happy, as officials explained how they had stacked dozens of bunk beds inside a homeless shelter, and purposefully did not provide televisions. Carson thinks that if you make public housing decently livable, people might become dependent and and want to stay there. And the key word there is people. People should not be stacked up like logs, and homes for veterans should be decent. Better housing isn't going to make people lazier and and more dependent. It's going to make them stronger. It, It makes them more able to accomplish what Carson imagines them accomplishing. Again, this is a basic issue of morality. When people need help with housing, we should give them decent housing. It's about treating people like you would want to be treated. Doesn't Ben Carson's religion have something to say about that? Well, you have to give Trump's Environmental Protection Agency credit. They finally figured out how to defeat global warming. See, The trick is to take all the information about it on the EPA's website and delete it. And poof, it's fixed. Hooray, Scott Pruitt, you did it. You took down scientific data. You took down information about the clean power plan. And now there's no such thing as climate change. Turns out we can solve all our problems by burying our heads in the sand and just pretending they aren't there. North Korea, never heard of it. You lost your job? What's a job? You don't have health care? Well, we just deleted WebMD. Now no one's ever gotten sick in the history of the world. Speaking of health care, let's talk about health care. It is impossible to overstate the immorality of what the Republican Party did today. Donald Trump went, went back to the Rose Garden this afternoon, surrounded by a bunch of old white guys who voted on this disgusting bill and told these lies about it. And I think most importantly, yes, premiums will be coming down. No, they won't. Yes, deductibles will be coming down. No, they won't. But very importantly, it's a great plan. No, it isn't. 
Let's remember, an early version of the American Healthcare Act would have taken health care away from 24 million Americans, according to the Congressional Budget Office. But they couldn't get that version passed, so they made it worse. And the key change they made is letting states waive protections for people with pre-existing conditions. And I could go into the details about how they say they'll dump them into high-risk pools, which have been tried and are a total failure, or how they secured moderate votes with a ridiculous pittance that will help cover the tiniest fraction of people with pre-existing conditions. But what matters here is that many of the people who need insurance the most won't be able to get it. Cancer survivors, people who've been sexually assaulted, pretty much every condition you've ever been treated for beyond the common cold can leave you completely uninsurable if you try to enter the individual market. I'm lucky. I've got great insurance through my wife's work. But if I ever needed to buy insurance on the market and there weren't protections for pre-existing conditions, I'd be screwed. I have back problems that have required medication, physical therapy, even epidural injections. I've been treated for depression and anxiety, especially since Donald Trump was elected. Make no mistake, before Obamacare, not being eligible for insurance killed people in America, and it will kill them again. I have seen so many heartbreaking stories of people terrified that if the ACA is repealed, their insurance will go away. And I wanted to share some of those stories with you. So I asked people on Twitter to tell me about why they're worried about the AHCA. And I got a really amazing response. And these stories you're about to hear are upsetting, but they're important to share. So I'm going to turn it over to them. Hi, my name is Tanya, and I live in Austin, Texas. I just wanted to share um, a few ways of how the ACA has affected my life. First, after I graduated from college, I got a full-time job, but it didn't have any benefits. And one day, I had excruciating lower stomach pain and ended up in the ER with a ruptured ovarian cyst. I was there for about three hours. And they sent me home with Motrin because there's nothing you can really do to treat it. A few weeks later, the bill came, and it was $15,000 before insurance. Thankfully, I had been able to stay on my dad's insurance because of the ACA. And if it wasn't for that, I would have essentially been bankrupt before my professional life even started just because of the ovarian cyst. I'm also a sexual assault survivor, and will the fact that a man decided to violate me and my body now be used against me when I try to find insurance? What kind of country uses sexual assault as a pre-existing condition? Another way it affected us was my husband was diagnosed with ulcerative colitis when he was 21, and because of his diagnosis, he has a higher risk of colon cancer and he couldn't get insurance because of his pre-existing condition. Now he can get the preventative care that he needs that could potentially save his life one day. And finally, and this is most recent and difficult to talk about, so I'm going to try and keep it together. (laughs) Um, My father-in-law was diagnosed with stage 4 cancer of the esophagus last month. He had only been feeling unwell for about two weeks before he went to the doctor. And he only went to the doctor because he was able to get insurance through the ACA. 
And now instead of focusing on his fight ahead and healing, he's terrified about what this means for his coverage. His diagnosis has been um, devastating, to say the least, for our family. And on top of that, we have to think about how we're going to pay for his care if his insurance premium spikes to $170,000 a year. These are people's lives, and this is my life. My name is Morgan Hess, and I am from Curtis, Ohio. Ohio, which is a Medicaid expansion state, leads the nation in opioid overdoses, with an average of about eight deaths per day. My brother is a heroin addict. The ongoing process of recovery and sobriety has been rocky and has required hospitalization, treatment after relapses, and rehabilitation services. But my family is lucky. My brother has successfully been in recovery since he OD'd and almost died a little over a year ago. This recovery has required a lot of hard work and resolve on his part and is aided by triweekly outpatient services with addiction and mental health specialists. Recovery treatment is already close to prohibitively expensive for my family, and that's with all the privileges of being a part of the white middle class. There are thousands of long-suffering people in Ohio who gained access to life-saving treatment programs for the first time under the ACA. Under the GOP's plan, Medicaid would no longer be required to cover basic mental health and addiction services in Medicaid expansion states like Ohio. That means that people like my brother could lose access to the recovery treatment that literally keeps them alive and helps them and healthy members of society. Ten Ohio representatives voted for this bill. And for all of Donald Trump's talk about expanding treatment for those who become so badly addicted to opioids, the AHCA does just the opposite, and it will hurt people like my brother. Hi, this is John calling from Minneapolis, and my healthcare story is that I have a pre-existing condition. Um, when I'm epileptic, when I graduated college, um, I took a job that did not offer health insurance. And while it um, would have paid uh, decently for somebody who did not have epilepsy and need to pay for uh, my medications, um, for me, it was um, not nearly enough to cover um, my medication. Uh, and I was paying over half my salary um, for my medication just to not have seizures. Um, this forced me to live at home. It stopped me from getting a car, uh, doing the sorts of things uh, people do uh, after they graduate college and are trying to start a real life. Um, and until I found a good job, thankfully the one I have now, um, I was never uh, able to uh, partake in that. And I don't want to see that happen to other people. Um, and it is a shame GOP voted today to make that the case. Hi, my name is Erin. Um, when I was 27, um, a boyfriend noticed a lump in my right breast, so I went to a free clinic because I had no insurance, and the doctor told me uh, he couldn't feel it, and if he had, it would have been nothing to worry about. I was too young for breast cancer. I, uh, the lump stayed, and I went back when I was 30 to another doctor. Um, this one was in a free clinic, but it wasn't much better. And again, no insurance. 
And the doctor told me that I had um, fibrocystic breasts, which I guess means natural lumps in them, and that it was nothing to worry about. And again, too young for breast cancer. I uh, was 35 when my breast started collapsing in on itself. And then I went to an immediate care clinic, and uh, they took one look at it, and and it was textbook breast cancer. <laughs> so 35 with breast cancer. I uh, I went through chemo. I had both breasts amputated, and now I have silicone, pectoral muscles, and skin. That's about it. I uh, I got all better. <laughs> I recovered enough from the chemo um, that decided to, you know, anyway, get on with my life. And then um, I was having a pain in my right shoulder. I had been moving some boxes, and I thought I must have pulled it out of its socket. So I went to another local immediate care clinic who uh, took an X-ray, one X-ray, and said, "Man, you you have bone cancer." Um, I don't know why the first doctors, the breast cancer doctors, didn't find it, and it doesn't really matter now. But they basically had to take off the top of my humerus, uh, a third of it or so, and put what looks like a metal railroad spike in there. So my shoulder is pretty much useless. But I feel lucky to have two working hands. I decided I wanted to finish my degree. And so I enrolled at college, and I'm in my third year now. I'm looking forward to graduating. I really want to kind of get on with my life. Um, I have, I'm bionic, but I'm alive. Cancer changed the course of my life, and I'm trying to make sure, or do everything I can to make sure that the, the change is for the better. But I'm just so appreciative of, of the care. I couldn't afford it. And I just want other people, other women in my situation to be able to survive. They just voted to let me die. And they are on their way to the White House to celebrate. Uh, yeah, this is Mark from Kansas City. And uh, you asked earlier about uh, what concerns people have with the new health care bill. Well, <laughs> uh, our family has got a few concerns. Let's see here. Uh, I have a son with autism and Tourette's. I have degenerative disc disease. I've had two spinal fusions. I've had a kidney stone and depression. Um, my wife had the audacity to get pregnant. Um, she also uh, had bad postpartum depression and has recently developed asthma. So basically we're kind of screwed. Um, and that doesn't even include the cuts to special education funding. Um, we're in a very rural district outside of Kansas City, and they are really dependent on those funds. They just don't have the tax base um, otherwise to provide the services my son and other kids need. And that's the thing that breaks my heart about this. My wife and I, we have insurance. We have money. I mean, we make pretty damn good money. What about the people who don't have money, who don't have insurance, who don't have a decent job? I, this is a disaster for everybody. Uh, I know my family is screwed, and my heart breaks for everybody else who's not even as good off as we are. Hi, yes, this is Sarah. I'm from Virginia, and um, this is my story. I got sick in November of 2011 with a severe and disabling autoimmune disease with no known cure. It took a year and a half over 10 specialists and multiple world-class health systems to be correctly diagnosed. Throughout that year and a half, I went from being a vibrant 26-year-old nurse 
with a promising career to a weak, pale fragment of my former self. Um, with my condition, there is no known cure, only a lifetime of treatment that is hard and painful and wrecks me every single time. Every three weeks, I get intravenous infusions at a local hospital. My treatments cost $55,000 each. Conservatively, that's $940,000 a year. That is what it costs to sustain my life. Because of the patient protection and Affordable Care Act, I was able to have access to the treatment that saved my life and sustains it to this day. Two patient protections under the Affordable Care Act are critical to me. First, the pre-existing conditions that prevents insurers from denying coverage or charging more for coverage based on an illness. And second, the annual and lifetime limits protections. I reach most annual limits in six weeks and most lifetime limits in one year. Um, both of these protections um, are eliminated in the American Health Care Act. My life and the lives of the chronically ill and disabled are threatened by the repeal of the ACA. Without it, there is no solution that will accommodate our needs in a market driven by profits and that is beholden to shareholders. It is important that people have access to health care without restrictions, wait periods, or yearly and lifetime limits. Without it, people will die. Hi, my name is Emily. I'm calling from Austin, Texas, and um, my husband uh, experienced a brain injury at birth, currently has a shunt, and unrelated in 2009, um, survived a brain tumor. My son was also born with some special needs, um, and I have my fair share of health problems, and I think what scares me the most is how the um, Trump care can affect employer insurance um, and will allow employers to possibly limit um, health coverage. We are heavily dependent on our health insurance. We use it a lot, um, and to think that that could be compromised is really frightening. My husband has to get an MRI every year to make sure that the tumor hasn't come back. My son's in physical therapy. I was recently in the hospital. Um, and really, we just feel marked. We feel labeled because we have these conditions that whether we're employed, whether we're not employed, whether we are, um, you know, using Medicaid, not using Medicaid, we're always going to be marked and possibly in trouble because of health conditions that we have no control over, uh, that we didn't cause, um, as some people have suggested, um, so I think in our family, and a lot of families right now, there's just a lot of fear. So our last story this week isn't exactly funny, but it is an excellent example of just how dumb our president is. He gave an interview to the Washington Examiner where he said this. I mean, had Andrew Jackson been a little later, you wouldn't have had the Civil War. He was a very tough person, but he had a big heart. He was really angry that he saw what was happening with regard to the Civil War. He said, there's no reason for this. So let's be clear. Andrew Jackson was a slave owner, and maybe he could have averted a Civil War if he had been president later than he was, 
but he would have averted it by continuing, if not expanding, the practice of slavery. That's Trump's lesson of the Civil War, if only we had a slave-owning president to avert it. Which leads you to only one possible conclusion. Donald Trump is apparently okay with slavery. That's it for another heartbreaking week under our orangutan president. Actually, scratch that. Orangutans are cool. I want to thank everyone who called in with their healthcare stories. Thank you for your bravery, and I hope your nation does right by you. I know everyone who listens to this podcast will be fighting for you. Don't forget, you can find links to all the stories I covered today on our website. That is thetrumpscorecard.org. Uh, like our podcast on Facebook. The page is facebook.com slash thetrumpscorecard. You can find me on Twitter at Jesse Burney. And if you have any thoughts or questions, you can always email me at thetrumpscorecard at gmail.com. I would love to hear from you. Hey, I'm president. Can you believe it? The Trump Scorecard is written, edited, hosted, and produced by me, Jesse Burney. Our music is from bensound.com. I'll be back next week, and remember, this is not normal.